Here we are, folks. We're at the uh, point in the semester where we're still talking about sex. Still, still talking about it. Um, it's, it's the fourth week in a row we've been talking about that because it's a very important subject. The Bible has a lot to say about it. It has a whole book about it, actually, the Song of Solomon. And so today we're going to be looking just a little bit um, through that book and talking about the implications for us today and for our futures with that. So we're looking at um, Song of Solomon. We're going to read, just to give you a taste of it, we're going to get, it's an eight-chapter book, we're going to give you a taste of it. It's, um, um, we're going to read 1 and 7, and we're looking at 1 Corinthians six twelve, which we looked at last week, again. And then I'm actually going to be speaking mainly from a verse that's not on here, so uh, that's my bad though, it's uh, Song of Solomon 2.4, so I'll read that to you afterwards and keep referring back to it, so it'll, it'll be in your mind, it's a short little verse, so, okay, alright, hear the word of God with me um, on this wonderful Wednesday night in our dating relationship and marriage series, it says, let him kiss me, this is a woman speaking to her lover, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine, do not gaze at me because I'm dark. Because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keep her the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me with whom, you whom my soul loves, where, your pastor, where you pastor your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And then he says, If you did not know, O most beautiful young woman, a be- beautiful among women, Follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your own goat, your young goats, beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with string of jewels. The first chapter is kind of the courting stage here. They are talking about each other, they're desiring one another, and then later in the book they're going to get married. And then this is post-marriage, this is a full chapter in Song of Solomon about their marital relations. So hear this, uh, Song of Solomon 7. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl, like a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat, encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools of Heshbon by the gate of bath Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are. O loved one, with all your delights, your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. And she responds, It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's. And his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards 
and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. And then 1 Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray and ask him to add his blessing to it this evening. Uh, Father, uh, you've given us charged um, metaphors there um, that we perhaps have lost a little bit of their weight as the, as the years have gone on. Uh, this ancient text uh, with his love poetry between a husband and a wife and, a, and even before a, a courting and dating man and woman. Uh, we pray that um, as we read it, as we study it, as we look through this book and hear about it, that you will give us great insight into your design for sex in marriage and, and, and what it is we're to, we're to do with it. Um, how we're to think about it, and what your purpose is for it again. And Lord, may you, may you take um, us and sanctify us. Uh, give us your spirit, we pray, to, to, to hear these words, to apply them to our lives. And we'll give you glory. Christ, and we pray, amen. Okay, so I want you to look, if you will, back at 1 Corinthians 6.12. And we're going to look, and I want to give you a structure to, to kind of ask that, you know, that, that what is, what can we do in sex question, okay? What can we do with sex? Okay, what, what is it that we can do? And so if you look at this structure, I want to look at 1 Corinthians six twelve, which you've got, you've got all this whole book in the Old Testament about married sex and how wonderful it is, and, and it's very fulfilling for these two, but what is it we can do? So... If you look at that, if you've got a pen and you're taking notes, you're going to have three points, and they're all in this verse. And it's, first I want you to kind of circle lawful, and then helpful, and then dominated. Or another, another way of phrasing it would be enslaved. Um, some, some versions might have enslaved there. So lawful, helpful, or enslaving are those three options so, so all behaviors can be either legal or unlegal or illegal, um, helpful or unhelpful, or freeing or enslaving. And so those are the three categories I want to give you to look at sex and, and how we do it. Now, sex is intended to be a very um, freeing thing, a thing that speaks to us in marriage, a, a husband and a wife, where, where you think about significance and security and it's awesome. But we, we, like, many of us bring a lot of baggage into that. Bring a lot of baggage where people have taken sex and made it a weapon uh, to, to hurt us. Or, or we have um, used sex in an improper way, and it's hurt us. And so we've got a lot of baggage when, we, when we've been trying to do sex when we get married, thinking through it. I read a blog the other day uh, of a woman who was recounting her, her being in a seminar, much like an RUF meeting, where people were talking about how, you know, you need to be a hottie for your husband. This is women speaking to women and giving them tips on how to, how to spice things up in the bedroom as a Christian. 
And, and that woman looked at him and said, well, I, this is just, I can't do this. I've got so many things going on in my mind about when I try to do sex with my husband, and it's terrible because I don't feel sexy. I can't be the haughty wife. I don't know what I'm doing, and it hurts. It's a, it's a continual place of pain for me. And so sex doesn't end up always being like this. We live in a broken, fallen world um, where, where we are broken, and we cause brokenness in our own lives. But what, what the Bible does promise is there is hope and that Jesus walks with us in our pain and brings us joy um, and brings us redemption in his time and for our good and his glory. So I want you to be aware of that. And I want to think about these, these three categories as we look at what sex can be and what it points to. So looking at what it can be and what, it's, and what it points to. So you guys, none of us are married here tonight except the coach is married and and um, Meredith and I are married. Is anybody else married here yet? Um, but some people are getting married. Uh, that's, that's true in RUF. We have a few get, uh, people getting married this, uh, with us this evening. But, but I want to look at, you know, kind of like when we're in dating, first of all, um, the anatomy of sexual sin. Uh, what is it that really drives us towards that? Uh, we, we, first, we've got to think about things here. First, um, most people feel like this type of struggle with our sexual sin and dating is inevitable. Uh, you hear things like men have urges and they just can't be controlled, and women have urges and they just can't be controlled. Uh, but that's a totally unbiblical notion, first of all. Uh, nowhere does the Bible describe a man as a sexually out of control beast. Uh, nowhere. And not only that, but that notion has caused even Christian couples, and in many ways, especially Christian couples, to go way too far physically um, than they ought. And so. Sexual purity in that light kind of becomes a joke for people considering it. It just can't be done. We're just throwing up our hands and give in because we're just, we have these hormones raging. We're out of control beasts. And so that's not, we've got to think about that, and that's not what the Bible teaches us at all. Secondly, um, we've got three points here. Secondly, um, this is why stopping sexually is so hard. Um, I, would, I would call the ladies here to not be shocked at your lack of self-control when you're with your date. Because there's forces at work deep within your soul in which you're longing to be sacrificed for by that man. You're longing for what we've talked about in this whole series. About We're talking about um, Jesus sacrificing for his church and how sex is a great big picture of that. Uh, and when, when, a, when a husband and a, and a wife are in that kind of an intimate relationship, a oneness union... Uh, which is which a, a sex is a picture of that this one flesh union, and there's a there's a great sacrifice that's going on. That's what a woman's longing for with a man, and so you will give your soul to him, hoping that he's going to take care of it. But the reality is he's he's in a dating relationship under no obligation to do so. And guys, men, most of you have struggled or are strangled by the grip of masturbation. But that's not about your hormones either. What that's really about is, 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 is that in, in your heart, you think being a man uh, means being significant. There's something tantalizing about the fantasies out there which hold the promise of manliness. And so that's exactly why porn drives you to where you, you go. Uh, and so the point here is that that's, that's intoxicating. This, this fantasy world of which you're the man 
And that's what's going on there. And so the point is that you just can't give that kind of stuff up. There's a powerful spiritual struggle going on deep within your soul when you're dealing with that stuff. Okay? It's not purely physical. There's a, there's a spiritual and emotional and heart thing going on. You're longing to be significant. Women, you're longing to be secure. And thirdly here, this is why some re- re- religious solutions um, don't usually work. Here's why. After sexual sin, a woman is confused. Why? Because she's gone to a man for safety, and he says and he might, that, he, that, he, and he says that he's going to do things, and he might even do the nicest things for her. However, her conscience is being beaten to death um, every time he stays over too late, every time they go too far. So she's torn between feeling close to him and also being repulsed by him because he makes her feel cheap. Men tend to, tend to react in sexual um, sin in a different way uh, of self-abasement. He's kicking himself. He's thinking that he hasn't done his duty, and therefore he hasn't been the man. See, the very thing he's longing for in the sexual relationship is to be the man, but he knows deep within his heart he hasn't been the man. He's led this girl down a path that, that hasn't honored her. He hasn't been a man. And so he piles up the guilt, hoping that it'll deter him, um, hoping that this guilt will stop him from doing it again. But that, that's exactly, I mean, the guilt leads you back to the sexual sin because the sexual sin holds out the promise of, if I get this, I'll be the man. I'm guilty. I can be the man. And so, ladies, there, there's something powerful there within men. It's this, this idea of being the man, being significant. So the ironic thing is that rather than experiencing victory over that kind of temptation, that's just going to keep leading to continual defeat. It's a downward spiral. And so... Sexual failures can be, can, can be very dangerous and they can keep going on into downward spirals because that guilt is going to keep pushing you back to sexual sin to feel like the man. You're going to go back to the porn, back to the dating and going too far because the guilt's going to lead you to where you do find that significance. And so the point of all this is simple. The sexual aspects of our lives are so deep. They go deeper than we could ever imagine. It's more than just a simple physical act of inserting A into B. It's more than just the anatomy. There's deeply spiritual things going on. I've been talking about that all semester. And we're on a journey, y'all, to understand these things so that we might be wary of our mistakes. But we also want to enjoy our sexual lives more in the way that God intended us to have them to function. And so if you look at this woman, what she's saying, back to our text, in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, is that she is dealing with body image issues. She is dealing with the fact that she is too dark for her culture. She doesn't fit the the stereotypical picture of beauty. She says in verse 2, his kisses are great, but don't look at me because I'm too dark. I'm suntanned. Okay, that's the exact opposite of where we want to be in our culture, isn't it? We all want to look like, um, you know, Caucasian Indians, okay? Like, we want to be so dark. Well, she's saying, I don't, I don't fit the mold. I don't feel beautiful. And he's saying to her in verse 8, if you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women. See, this, this sexual thing is, 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 is saying, look, you're it. I'm going to lay down my life for you because you're the most breathtaking thing in the world. You are with me. 
and I'm not going anywhere. Sex, it, it, it suggests permanence, completeness. And, and for her, it's that security, and for him, it's the significance of being that man. Okay? And so then you have this great place of sex where they're loving one another, and you see all kinds of things in this, uh, all kinds of sexual acts alluded to in this whole entire book. You see clear pictures of sex in here. And so I want to I want to go through kind of a, you know, like I do want to tell you that, you know, kind of the, when we look at this threefold distinction of things are lawful, beneficial, or enslaving. Okay, when we look at that, we're going to look at different, I'm going to give you different hypotheticals, then we'll do the whole text messaging thing. Can we get that going on, Tim, the text messaging deal? Okay, yeah, so if you have a question today, just text message one of the interns, and they'll forward it to me during our song time, which will be happening after this. We'll do song time, and, um, and I'll answer those questions, but I'm going to do a few hypothetical uh, scenarios. Is, okay, so what is, what is okay to do in marriage? What can a man and woman do in marriage? And so um, the first thing let's look at is um, let's think about got a, a ton of things here. Um, let's see. Let's go. I should really have thought through this better. Yeah. Let's just go. Um, Kent, what about oral sex? Okay? Oral sex in marriage. We'll throw that to softball, right? Okay, should, should, that, should married couples be doing that? Well, non-married couples shouldn't be doing that, but married couples, let's just look at the distinction here. Um, you know, statistically, most people are engaging in this. That's just the way it is. Um, people are, um, I could go, I could quote you many stats if you want to look at where we are sexually in our culture. A good book is Mark Driscoll's book on sex that has a compendium in, in chapter 10 of that book on what our sexual habits are. And then he goes through this, this very distinction I'm talking about here. But all things are lawful for me. Is, is this a legal thing according to our society and the Bible to be doing in, in a married relationship? And the, the answer is, according to, according to our rules of our culture, of course it's illegal, okay? It's not illegal. In the Bible, is it legal? Yes, it is. Uh, you can make a case that even in this in, in Song of Solomon, um, it's, it's alluded to several times in chapter 2 and in other places. And so I want to I just you know, point that out to you. It is, it's certainly not outlawed, um, but with these two men and women, or these men and women are, are enjoying one another, um, it's certainly legal. Uh, is it beneficial? Could this be a beneficial or helpful thing in a marriage? Well, certainly it could be, okay? Uh, certainly, and, and here's, here's a couple reasons. Um, uh, one, um, in, in, in sexual intercourse, uh, penis and vagina intercourse. I've got to say these things at RUF sometimes. But, um, but in those things, um, you know, like um, the clitoris is not uh, stimulated as much. So, so in, a, in oral sex with a man giving oral sex to a woman, that can stimulate that. Or even yet like, uh, with... with uh, manual stimulation. So, so that's helpful in that women aren't, uh, some aren't orgasmic through the intercourse. So you bring in the, um, either a hand or mouth for oral sex. Now for men, this is going to be a good thing too, beneficial, because um, there's times when women can't, you know, can't have intercourse. Like for instance, when you've just had a baby, 
Uh, and so there's like that six-week period. So man, this could be a very helpful thing for a relationship. Uh, and it's a very intimate thing. So um, certainly an intimate thing um, and helpful in many regards. This is just a few examples. But uh, yeah, um, is, could it be enslaving? Okay. Well, if, 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 if oral sex takes over as the primary way, you probably need to examine things. as the only way you do this. So, but, but in general, um, it's something that men and women, uh, if they feel so inclined in a marriage, uh, can consider. And it's a lawful, uh, can be beneficial, uh, as long as it's not enslaving. So um, certainly a good um, and... and approved task or thing to do in the Bible, right? So, um, what about um, what about masturbation? Yeah, what about that? Um, in, in marriage, uh, masturbation, um, both men and women of all ages masturbate with men masturbating more than women. Uh, the younger people um, masturbating um, uh, more than older people, actually. Younger people do it more. Um, the average age uh, that individuals uh, first begin doing so uh, tends to uh, be, begin with the onset of puberty, like 13 and a half for the guys and 12 and three quarters for the girls. Um, so um, for men under the age of 59, more than 60% have practiced so, solo masturbation in the past 90 days. That's a lot. Um, the number remained roughly 50% for ages 59 to 69, and then they're the highest uh, amongst men uh, between 25 and 39 uh, with single men in a dating relationship reporting 95% and 80% for all unmarried men in the past three months or 90 days. Um, so it's a very common practice. 30% of men ages 49 and under still masturbate on an average of more than two times a week. Uh, women uh, also uh, doing a lot, more than half uh, of women ages 18 to 49 reported solo masturbation during the past 90 days, uh, with the rates being highest among those 25 to 29, that age group. So, a lot, lot of masturbation going on. Um, okay, so uh, what about, um, is that lawful? <laughs> is that lawful in a marriage relationship? Well, um, probably not if, if it's without the knowledge of your spouse or including pornography or lustful thoughts about anyone other than your spouse, that's sinful and, and is not an option, right? But like we've already talked about, there's times when, when um, you know, sex is given for such purposes as oneness, intimate knowledge, comfort. Um, and so you know, it might be appropriate with your spouse, but having sex with yourself uh, seems to miss some of the significant biblical reasons for sexual intimacy, the oneness, intimate knowledge, the comfort of the other person. And so... Um, according to um, a biophysicist who studied the effects of sexual simulation on the brain, masturbation is like playing with neurochemical fire, right? It affects one emotionally and neurologically. And so it can be enslaving. For instance, um, it binds you to things. There's one, uh, one biochemical person who says, uh, says this, that if a man had a baseball cap sitting on the top of his computer and daily watched porn on his computer, after a month, the man would have a physiological response of sexual arousal to a baseball cap. That's interesting, is it not? Okay. Neurophysical, neurological 
an emotional fire you're playing with there. Um, and so that's how these kind of oddball fetishes, uh, it's one, one, like kind of one, um, one theory on how these oddball fetishes of, of men and women uh, come to be is through these sort of practices. So it can be enslaving, of course. Some spouses are very visual and enjoy seeing their partner do this. And again, share with your partner in marriage, certainly legal and perhaps beneficial, but you want to avoid the uh, enslaving angles there. Um, talked about oral sex already. Move that. Um, what about um, anal sex in marriage? Okay, what about that? Um, with the onset of more and more pornography, this has become more uh, of a talked about and practiced um, deal within um, all kinds of people. Uh, it's, uh, the stats say that more than 40% of all men ages 25 to 59 have had anal sex with a woman at least once in a lifetime. Um, and among women, um, 10 to, 10 or 35% among women, uh, 10% to 14% of women ages 18 to 39 have, have done so, both married and single, in the past 90 days. So 10 to 14% of married women and single women in the past 90 days have had it. Um, so lots, lots. Um, okay, um, what about that? Is that, uh, is that a legal thing? Um, well, technically, yes, in the Bible, legal. Um, a lot of people you know, have heard the word sodomy. That's um, a word that never appears in the Bible. Um, but um, they're taking that from a reference to Genesis 19, where, uh, to the city of Sodom, where God uh, rained down uh, sulfur and made this city a hellish place and destroyed everybody in the city because of the bad sin going on there in the city, the sexual sin. And so um, kind, of the, kind, of, kind of like the, mis, the misunderstanding there is that God, God wasn't judging anal sex per se. Uh, he was judging homosexual sex and possibly even gang rape, uh, of t- uh, or the intended gang rape of two men uh, that, had, that had entered in the city. And so God intervened and blinded this mob and allowed Lot, who's, the, who's God's guy in there, and his family to get out. And so they, they got out of there before the town was reduced to ashes. They barely make it out, and so then God rained down that fire or sulfur onto Sodom and Gomorrah and killed the people. And so the sin, of, the sin of Sodom there was not anal sex between husband and wives, but rather homosexual sex between men, which the Bible repeatedly forbids. And so the sin of Sodom was not, was not anal sex, but homosexual sex. Okay? Uh, an additional thing here uh, to note is there's a difference between anal simulation and penetration. Uh, you, you never thought you'd sign up for this tonight, anal simulation and penetration. Um, okay. Um, Many couple or some couples report some pleasure from anal simulation with a with a finger, um, and rather than participating in full on anal sex. Uh, there's some health concerns there. Um, these, these this orifice is not as um, pliable as a vagina, and so there's some uh, risks, health risks associated with it. We'll, we won't go into all those, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, so is it legal? Certainly, is it beneficial? You got to kind of kind of leave it up to you uh, to decide that, um, and then is it enslaving what shouldn't again take over as the primary thing 
in a uh, relationship. Um, so if it becomes an obsessive part of the marriage or begins to overtake other things, uh, then it could be a problem, and especially for anyone who's had um, gay sex or those fantasies in the past or have memories of those, that could lead to sin, and so it should be avoided. Um, what about role-playing in, in sex between husband and wife? That's an interesting topic. Is it not role-playing? Should that be uh, legal? Okay. Um, well, role-playing, what is that? Um, it's when one or both spouses assume roles to act out of character, uh, character as part of flirtation and lovemaking. For some couples, this could include um, you know, like acting like uh, a firefighter or a nurse or something ridiculous. Okay? So you know, like that could be uh, heightening a sense of fantasy. Uh, is that lawful? I don't think the Bible speaks of that. Um, technically, so it's lawful. Um, it's neither, neither the Bible nor the government forbids it. Um, could it be helpful? Could it be the second thing there? Um, Role-playing can be also um, an unhelpful part of sex. Um, if you're fantasizing about somebody besides your spouse, um, then you're committing the sin of lust or lustful intention towards somebody else. So that could be a bad thing. Um, but if it's not, then it could be a good thing. Um, so you've got to be careful with that. Don't want it to be enslaving. So there's several, several different topics. Um, you know, we could, we could talk about many different things, but we'll just sort of, um, I'll leave that for you to ask questions. I'd be happy to talk about all manner of questions about what is it, what's okay for a, a husband and wife to do with sex uh, in a marriage. So, but I will tell you this, that if there's more, more to it, than just the sex. Look at, uh, if you've got your Bibles, look at Song of Solomon 2.4. Um, this is the woman speaking to the man. She says, he brought me to the banqueting house, or the house of wine, and his banner over me was love. His banner over me was love. Um, sex between a husband and wife um, uh, is going to be a time where the banner is placed over one another. The banner. I mean, it's sort of a military um, analogy in most Hebrew literature, but here it's it, it has this sexual connotation of a banner, like a banner, like an army banner, your army flag, um, and so this banner connotes um, commitment, uh, belonging. Uh, I'm with you, and so his banner over me was his love, and so that's exactly what we are looking for uh, in. In all relationships, we bind ourselves to each other. And, and here in, in this text in the Bible, a woman has poetically put it that we're all looking for someone to belong with us, to commit to us. And so all sexual acts in marriage, according to God and our government, um, that are legal and are beneficial, um, connote that oneness, that I'm with you, I'm for you, we belong with one another, we're permanently detached, and you've got a lot of freedom to do that, uh, to knock yourself out in the marriage bed uh, with one another, uh, and, and, to, and to learn in it. And so it can be wonderful, but it's not everything, it's pointing to something better. It's pointing to something wonderful, that Jesus is actually our banner, that Jesus is actually the one who lavishes with his love, claims us, puts his name upon us, belongs to us, he baptizes us, he, he, he wants you to be, he wants you to take on his name, he wants you to, he wants to put his banner on you because he loves you so desperately that he will not allow 
your sin to prevent him from living with you. And so he will give himself for you. He'll sacrifice you. He will die for you so that you will be his forever. He wants to put his banner over you. He wants to cover you with his blood, with his love, and make you his. And he's the thing that we're all longing for ultimately. And I keep saying that, but that's really what this is, is, is marriages and sex and relationships are pointing to something greater that we're all longing for. We're all longing for that. And we've got to get that right. Um, and to, uh, we'll close with one thing here. In Toy Story, one of my favorite movies because I have kids now, um, you know, is that it, there's this great character named Woody. And Woody, throughout these, this trilogy, it's kind of one of the best sagas of all time now. Uh, there's three of them. But Woody's always emboldened when he looks down um, and sees on the bottom of his boot the word Andy. Andy is his owner. Now, there's always a lot of anxiety amongst these toys that they're going to be discarded and thrown away, but Andy stays faithful to old Woody throughout the whole story. And every time he looks down and sees that Andy on his boot, it inspires him. And so it's because that Woody is Andy's that he lives for him. Not the reverse, y'all. You see that? It's because we are his, that we are Christ that we live for him. Not the reverse. It's that he's put his banner over you, that you can live for him. That is the very thing that you need to know. That if, you're, if, you're, if you're dealing with sexual sin, you've got to stop it. You've got to stop it. You've got to know that it's not that you're going to live for him, that he's going to put his banner over you. It's like already put his banner over you if you're in Christ. And you've got to see his name on you. You've got to see the nail-scarred hands for you. You've got to see the cross for you. You've got to go to the Gospels and look and see, this is how Jesus loved you. He cared about you in that way. He's put his name on you. And you can live in light of that. Live in that freedom. He didn't, he didn't you know, die for you so you could be enslaved to anything. Now, the, the slavery is not something like we, like, I want to go back to that again. Slavery is not something like we typically think of being enslaved where we're, we're beaten. It's like we're, we have this, this heart slavery where we're looking for security, we're looking for significance. Jesus fulfills that. He says, you are significant men, I'm going to go and get you and because you matter to me, you're valuable. And women, he's the one who sacrifices for you to keep you secure. He's the one you can trust. And so when we have that, that sexual sin, we can know that that's, that unfailing love never is going away. We can come to him. We can confess it. We can talk with our friends about these sort of things, realizing that it's not my, my getting it together that's going to make Jesus love me or anybody else. It's that Jesus makes me significant. That's the final word on, on my significance. That's the final word on my security. And so we'll pray, and I'd love to hear questions on these issues. So let me know. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good to us. You are kind to us. Help us to sing to you these wonderful songs we're going to sing and to think through uh, living pure and living holy and, and what our futures might look like in that. So help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.